Welcome to the Zico Health Show. This is weight management expert, Narado Zico Powell. Here we discuss fitness, nutrition, gut health, alternative medicine, and anything else that impacts your health and fitness. So take a seat and enjoy the ride. So everyone, welcome to another episode of the Zico Health Show. Today, I want to talk about metabolic flexibility or even the lack thereof and how it can really impact our body's ability to burn fat. Because when many of us talk about weight loss, one of the first things we think about is eating less calories than we burn, that calorie deficit, right? And while that is true, we do need to burn more calories than we consume. But if you're just focusing on calories, a few things may happen. One, you don't feed your muscles adequately. So you end up looking frail, even though you lost weight. You could lose the weight, but struggle to keep it off. Or let's say easily gain the weight right back whenever you eat something that may be, I guess you say, fattening. Or you just don't feel as strong as you should because your lean muscles are on the fed, going back to that first reason. And these are just a few things that can happen. And that's why it is really important to understand what is metabolic flexibility and how to properly use it, especially if you want to sustain weight loss and you don't want to put the pounds back on. And the show notes for this episode will be available at zikahealth.com slash mflexibility. So I recommend you actually pull it out as you listen to this episode and go along with it. So you always have something you can go back to and refer to, right? But before I get into this episode, I want to stop for a moment. I want to have a one-on-one. I want to tell a personal story. Because up to this point, I've released so I'm up 13, 14 episodes, but I haven't really stopped and told why I'm a podcaster. Why do I have this Eco Health show? See, years ago, I used to struggle with really bad allergies and really bad asthma. It was to the point that I had to leave work a few times because I just I just couldn't breathe. And when I went to the doctor, my primary care physician always gave me, I think it was Albuterol, um, Advair, and some pills. I still don't even remember the name of it. And I, and I would ask, is there anything I can do to get myself off this medicine, like, you know, to improve my asthma over time? And, you know, he would look at me and smile and say no without saying no. And one day I thought to myself, if I stay, I'm almost like in my mid-30s, if I stay on medication now, I'm just going to be on medicine the rest of my life. And yeah, I took my Advair, took my Abiterol and my pills and everything, right? But I knew that I needed to make a change. So the first book that I picked up was... um. The Plant Paradox, yeah, by um, Dr. Stephen Gundry. And he was talking about lectins. He was talking about um, 
leaky gut. And I've never heard those terms a day in my life. In fact, when I first picked it up and I started, you started reading it, I'm naturally a skeptical person. So for me, I thought this, hmm, I don't know. This sounds kind of weird. But some of the things he said, though, I really started realizing that he was right. When I ate certain foods, I felt a certain way. So I didn't necessarily follow his plan, but I, I made my own changes. And I started realizing I was feeling better. So as I was feeling better, I started making more and more changes. And my allergies was bothering me less. I had to use my medication less. So then I started looking around for podcasts. I started listening to Sean Stevenson. I love his work. Ben Greenfield, he's more on the fitness side, but he talks a lot about health. I started following his work. I read books like um, the, um, ah, sorry, I can't think of the name of the book right now, but I've read so many different books over the time, trying to learn more and more and more. And not just about nutrition, but about mindset, about you know how to make sure that I, I stay consistent because change starts in the mind. And once you change your mind, you can start impacting other things. And long story short, I can say that it's been over two years having renewed my medication. And the, the one thing I regret, I should have kept my medicine and like, you know, I wear it like a necklace around my neck because that's the single proudest thing for me. So it goes to show that I'm not telling anybody to stop taking your medicine, but Western medicine isn't the end-all be-all. There are things you can do on a daily basis to improve your health on your own. And now my saying is, I'm not going to put my health in the hands of somebody else. So I just want you to listen to that as I go through this and all episodes. And in fact, for the rest of this year, I vow to tell this story at the beginning of every single episode. Now, with that being said, let's talk about metabolic flexibility. I'm gonna start by defining the term because this phrase is really becoming so popular in modern day fitness, but many people, including trainers, still don't know or even understand what it is. Now, we know how much I love PubMed studies. And according to PubMed, metabolic flexibility is the ability to respond or adapt to conditional changes in metabolic demand. It goes on to say that this broad, and again, broad concept has been used to explain insulin resistance and mechanisms as governing fuel selection between glucose and fatty acids. Because remember, your body can use glucose or fatty acids for energy, even sometimes protein. Highlighting the metabolic inflexibility of obesity and type 2 diabetes. So basically, there is saying that metabolic inflexibility is often linked to obesity and type 2 diabetes. And I'm going to get in that a little bit later in the episode. But simply put, metabolic flexibility is really your body's ability to burn different types of nutrients for energy, mainly fat and carbs, and if needed, protein. 
So then what's the flip side of that? If your metabolism, I should say metabolism, is not flexible, then it's inflexible. That really means that your body struggles to break down nutrients for fuel. And we now know that when you eat food, whatever your body doesn't use or eliminate, it stores. So then, of course, like I said earlier, there is a connection between metabolic inflexibility and diabetes. Another PubMed article indicates that fatty acid availability, uptake, and oxidation all play a role in metabolic flexibility and insulin resistance. Simply, that means that your, your, your body's ability or available fatty acids is connected to insulin action, or should I say insulin inaction, aka type 2 diabetes. The article goes on to explain that during fatty acid availability, these transporters may limit cellular and mitochondrial fatty acid uptake, thus limiting fat oxidation. It's just basically like having a, a high blood lipids or blood triglycerides. If your body is not able to use that in your blood, just like carbs, if your body is not adapted at using it for energy, then yes, it may end up storing a lot of it, leading to obesity, leading to even type 2 diabetes, because we have to remember that when our, when our body can't burn what we're eating, it's going to call on insulin and more insulin to store. And therefore, as you're calling on more insulin, then your body can become more insensitive to insulin, right? I think insulin, or let's say type 2 diabetes as, let's say you're talking to, and you're a child, right? And you're calling your mother's name. And you're like, mom, 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 mom. And eventually your mom tunes you out where you're saying, mom, she doesn't even hear you anymore. So she becomes insensitive to your voice in that particular sense. That's how I think about type 2 diabetes when it's related to insulin. When insulin levels are constantly high, eventually your body kind of tunes it out. And as your body tunes it out, it becomes insensitive to insulin. So then if you have high blood triglycerides, but your body is not able to burn it, then your body can then become more insensitive to insulin, hence can also lead to type 2 diabetes. So this essentially means that if your body is not adapted to burning fat as fuel, you can then, as I said, have the high amounts of fatty acids in your blood, limiting fat oxidation, and leading to your body storing more energy. Does this remind you of anything, though? Yes. If you think about sugars and carbs, you are definitely correct. These factors are really often overlooked, especially when we talk about long-term weight loss. Because again, we're often talking about calories in, calories out, calories in, yes, and that plays its, its role, right? But if you can't properly burn fuel, then you may have an issue. And I'm going to get into that a little bit later too. But 
what I want you to think about is in today's society where so many of us are looking at diets like the keto diet or the carnivore diet that are really high in protein and fats and low in carbs. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying these diets are bad, nor am I recommending one over the other. What I'm explaining here, though, is being on one type of diet for too long, especially if your metabolism is not, say, efficient at turning nutrients into fuel, it can impair, impair your health. It can impair your metabolism long term. In fact, there are scientists like Sean Wells who would say that even if you're on a keto or a carnivore diet, you do need to start reintroducing carbs because your body can then forget how to burn carbs. So then even if you're, it's, it's apt at burning fat for fuel, but you may not be able to burn carbs for fuel. So then leads to met- metabolic inflexibility. So then, yeah, you can burn fat, but when you eat carbs, you start gaining weight again because your metabolism is not able to burn carbs. So that's why I have to be careful about those kind of diets, thinking about the long-term effects of just sticking to one method. And again, I'm not saying one is bad versus the other. I'm mainly here talking about being able to birth, I should say, burn both for fuel so your metabolism can be more flexible. So now that we know this, what do we need to do? It's going to kind of, I'm kind of hitting the nail on the head because it's kind of basic at this point, but training your body or your metabolism to convert energy from the nutrients you eat. It doesn't matter if you're, ju- if you're really calorie, defi- or calorie deficient, I should say, if you cannot efficiently convert food into fuel. I've actually seen it firsthand with my clients. I mean, have you never known anyone who cut their calories and they'll come to you and say, I can't lose weight. I've only eaten a thousand calories. I'm running. I'm this, I'm that. But I just, I don't know what to do. Because your body is not adept at getting the energy from the nutrients that you're eating. And it may end up either eliminating or storing it. So before I get into some tips, though, I really want to stop for a second and talk about the calorie in versus calorie out mindset. I mentioned Sean Stephen earlier in my uh, introduction. He's the author of the best-selling book, um, Eat Smarter. And he's also the author of Sleep Smarter, which is also a really good book. And the host of the Model Health Show. I think it's now the top um, podcast in health and fitness in Apple. And he says something that's profound in his book, though, that calorie counting is often inaccurate because it doesn't take into consideration the complexity of digestion. Let me say it again. Calorie counting is often inaccurate because it doesn't take into consideration the complexity of digestion. Because calorie counting assumes that you absorb or digest, or say absorb or digest all the food you eat, which we know that's not the case. In fact, excessive restriction can also lead to nutrient deficiency. And it goes back to what I said before, is I purposely saying, you know, I'm only going to live on fat the rest of my life. I'm going to stay on a carnivore diet and I won't eat vegetables. I won't eat my mushrooms and so on and so forth. Those things can lead to nutrient deficiency long-term. Lastly here, 
calorie counting doesn't take into consideration insulin action, metabolic health, the type of nutrients you eat, and much more. So it goes back to what I keep saying. If you're thinking about calories in, calories out, you're missing the whole point. And that's why, honestly, calorie is a dirty word with me and my clients. I don't even like when they use the word in my presence. It really, like Peter from Family Guy would say, um, grinds my gears. Because it's just, it's just short-sighted to just think about it. There's so many other issues. And if you've ever had type 2 diabetes or any other health issues, you know where I'm coming from. If you've dropped your calories and you struggle to lose weight, you know where I'm coming from. Maybe you need to broaden your horizon and change your mindset. Maybe work with a dietitian or a nutritionist that understands metabolic flexibility and can get you to where you need to be. And a tidbit to that, that I actually wasn't even planning to really say here, but now that I think about it, by cutting your calories, your BMR, your baseline metabolic rate, usually adjusts. So then you have to keep cutting and cutting and cutting and cutting. At some point, you need food to eat, right? So then that's what causes plateaus. And you can't keep cutting and cutting and cutting and cutting and cutting, especially if we're talking about long-term weight loss or, or I should say long-term weight management, because you can then again end up nutrient deficient. So now we know these facts. What's next, right? Let's talk about some general tips for promoting um, metabolic flexibility. There are really different ways to really get this done. In fact, I really don't believe there's one way for everybody. And remember this, before you make any dietary changes, especially if you have underlying health issues, please contact a medical professional. But here's some general guidelines. One, you can uh, keep your blood sugar constant by tracking your blood glucose. The benefit here is that you have an understanding of how much sugar you have in your bloodstream at any given time. Because if your blood sugar is consistently high, then you're more likely a sugar burner. And in theory, this means that your metabolism is accustomed to, is, I should say, not accustomed to burning fat for fuel or energy. Then, aka, it's not really good at using ketones. Now, being a sugar burner by itself is not bad, but just being a sugar burner may be an issue. Because again, when you eat fat, or, you, or your body is not able to switch over to ketosis. And that may cause an issue. Eat more complex carbs. That comes back to keeping the blood sugar steady. Um, especially on the days that you're not as active. And I'm sure you've heard me say this before. You can download the glycemic index or a glycemic load app that really gives you an outline of which foods spike your blood sugar and which ones will keep your blood sugar steady. And especially if you eat a lot of simple carbs that spike your blood sugar, it leads you to be primarily, again, a sugar burner. So when you eat fat, you can end up with a lot of triglycerides in your bloodstream and then can also cause a lot of insulin action. And just by spiking your blood sugar, actually, because your body can only burn so much, because if you listen to my interview with um, Dr. Kenneth Rodriguez, he explains that your body regulates how much sugar you have in your bloodstream. So then insul it calls on insulin 
to take the excess and starting to store it, right? And guess what? Just like that, I said earlier, your body regulates the triglycerides in your bloodstream and does the same thing. So then there's two ways that you're calling on insulin to store more body fat. But here's something that I do, and I've been doing this for, I'll say a good couple of years now, carb cycling. See, in previous episode, you've heard me talk about how I eat good sources of fat during the day. And, uh, and that's usually when I'm not as active, right? So I eat good sources of saturated or even unsaturated fat. And uh, if I eat carbs, and especially if I'm going to eat simple carbs, it's usually within an hour before or after lifting. That way, I replenish my muscles and I do not deplete my muscle glycogen. It also helps with my recovery as well. And hint on that because we now know that insulin sensitivity is best within an hour before and post-workout. So that's when carb cycling can work out very well. Now, I mean, eating... Um, carbs, you know, like uh, candy or popcorn, we're now watching TV. And unfortunately, that's what we do. But, you know, that's one of the worst things that we could do because we're not active. Our body can't burn it, can't use it for energy. And as I said, what our body can't burn, our body's going to store. And then also it's going to increase our insulin action. And our insulin is going to yell at our body, mom, 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 mom. And guess what happens? it can lead to type 2 diabetes. So then are we surprised that since the introduction of the, um, the food pyramid that type 2 diabetes have increased in the United States? Obesity has increased in the United States because of how much carbs they tell us to eat. And again, I'm not saying carbs is bad. I'm not saying fat is good. I'm not saying fat's bad or carbs good. I'm not saying any of that. It's about the timing and using food for fuel and not just as a, as a use for entertainment or because I had a bad day. And goes back to what I was saying earlier, Code of the Extraordinary Mind. That's the book I was thinking about, actually. It's also one of the first books that I picked up. And it taught me how to reprogram my mind so I can stay consistent. It talked about sugars, how it impacts our mind. In fact, there's studies now that talk about... um sodas and high sugary drinks and how they actually can lead to poor mental health because it spikes dopamine, which is one of her feel-good receptors, which is a temporary feel-good receptor. So once we get that sugar crash, we want more sugar again. So Code of the Extraordinary Mind is actually a really good book I recommend anybody pick up. It really helped to carve and change my life. Talking about sugary drinks, <laughs> that's the next on my list. Because, yes, juice, sodas, and high sugary drinks. And, yes, even juice spike your blood sugar. There's no fiber in it. And, again, can lead to you storing more body fat, leading to excess insulin. So then, it's only natural for me to say here to drink more water, stay hydrated. I mean, water is just important for so many reasons. Oftentimes, and this is really true, oftentimes when we think we're hungry, we're just thirsty. Try it. Drink water for about 30 minutes before and after each meal. Make it a regular practice. In addition to that, there's research and studies that explain that the energy that your body uses 
to heat water from room temperature to body temperature can cause you to burn more calories. So that's why they usually see that when you drink water, you can burn an excess amount of calories within 30 to 45 minutes. And that's why the 30 minutes before and post meals is really important. And you throw walking into that, oh, forget about it. And then that leads me to my last point, walking, walk, walk, walk. Make sure you get at least 10,000 steps a day. See, walking promotes fat oxidation, which is basically the breaking down of triglycerides from body fat for energy. In fact, I get at least 5,000 steps before I eat most days. Because why am I going to get up and eat when I haven't really burned what I ate the day before? I'm just adding fuel into a tank, basically. That tank that's already full, right? So I always make sure that I get about get at least 5,000 steps before I eat for most, sometimes even more than that. Um, the ladies in my apartment, I walk with them all the time. They walk and we talk. They ask me questions. Um, it's always been for, for a long time now. It's been like a regular practice of mine. It's we need to walk. We, we live in a society where sometimes a day will go by and we're lucky if we get two, 3,000 steps. Some people take 5,000 steps and for them, that's, that's a lot, right? Because they don't walk. So movement is very important for digestion and burning excess energy. And I always say this, you know, they say a body in motion stays in motion. A metabolism in motion stays in motion. So yes, if you can get a chunk of your steps before eating, that will be amazing. And even if you can't get that 5,000 for eating because of work or schedules, I mean, we have things to do, right? But aim for at least 10,000 every day. That should be a minimum. Walking and movement should never be a maybe. It's vital for our health and our metabolism. And last but not least, if you're listening to this show, you already know, listen to the Zika Health Show for weekly tips so you can continue to transform your body into a fat-burning machine. Thanks for listening to the Zico Health Show. If you got good quality content out of this episode, save, subscribe, and share it out there with family, friends, co-workers, or anybody who needs to hear this information. Remember, always take the scenic route and enjoy the ride.